This is the WGNS Action Line, talking with Rutherford County newsmakers about what matters most to you. Now, your host, Scott Walker. News time right now, 819. You're tuned to WGNS again on this Thursday morning, today, the 2nd of June. And this morning, we're talking about local fires and fire issues and the Murfreesboro Fire and Rescue Department. And with us this morning, we have uh, Carl Pease, the fire marshal, and then Shan Walmack, also here today from Murfreesboro Fire and Rescue. How are both of y'all doing today? Doing good. How are you? I'm good. So what's new in the uh, in the world of fires? <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, it changes every day, but uh, it's been, been a good year. Uh, slow year uh, when I say slow it means fires are down a little bit which always is a good thing but we still stay busy um, we've got some exciting things coming up in the next couple of months one of the things that we wanted to highlight is we've got a teen fire academy starting in July it's a one-week uh, academy it's gonna go Monday through Friday where right now we've got is it not Monday through Friday Monday through Thursday okay Monday through Thursday I'm sorry uh, we've got 20 mm-hmm. participants. Why don't you tell them a little bit about it, Jan? Yes, we have uh, 20 applicants that will be there. It is July 11th through the 14th um, at our training facility. So we're we're looking forward to that. Um, we posted it uh, and actually filled up with applications in four days. So Oh, wow. Yeah. So now, is there still room for teens to be a part of it? Not this time. We actually cut it at 20 this okay. time. So okay. um, if we get just as good feedback next time we we are looking to up that a little bit okay and this is the first time you've actually had it for teens yes sir it is um we we made like a schedule for them and they're going to get to do a lot of things that um that we're very excited for them about um they're actually going to get to wear turnout gear a lot of the stuff will be demonstration as far as the live fire they cannot obviously participate in that but they're going to get to watch that they will get to do some search and rescue things. They'll get to um, do some extrication things and, and watch a rope rescue demonstration. There'll be lots of exciting events for them that week. So that's all coming up in July, and it's all under Rutherford, or not Rutherford County, but Murfreesboro Fire and Rescue. And so it's going to take place on those training grounds right there at what? Bridge Avenue at New Salem? Yes, sir. Okay. So that's all coming up around the corner. Um, now, you've done different fire academies, citizen fire academies for adults before, and how has that taken? What what have uh, they, what kind of feedback have you gotten? Uh, we have very good feedback uh, from the Citizens Fire Academy. We're actually going to be doing another one starting this October, um, so we encourage everyone to come out and do that. Um, people love it. They they didn't realize how much uh, we do and everything that we do, and we don't just fight fires anymore. Um, so it's something good for them to, to see and be a part of. Now, here in Murfreesboro, Murfreesboro Fire and Rescue, they're you know a, a top-notch agency, and it, it seems like y'all rank a lot higher than a lot of the other smaller cities and towns around us as far as your response to emergencies and, and fire calls. Well, you know, we... we focus a lot on training and we've also one thing that we have that's a great asset to our department is we've got the support of the city the mayor the city council all the department heads within the city support us we couldn't do it alone we'd have to have their support and 
we've got great support from them. And I know you said at the opening that fires have actually been down this year. Um, how, how down are they? And what do you think is causing this decrease? Well, we don't have the percentages just yet to say, you know, we're down 5% or 10%. Those numbers hadn't come in yet. But I would say we're down in the neighborhood of somewhere between 5 and 10% of the structure fires. Uh, I'd like to credit that to our public education, not just in our office, but our entire department. You know, community risk reduction focuses on fire prevention, but technically the whole department does. The men and women on the trucks, they do it every day. So they're a big asset to us. You know, I, I know, you know, residential fires are down, but it seems like there's been more like car fires and truck fires lately, at least over the last couple of months. I know there was one big truck fire on I-24 near 840 a couple of weeks back. Then there was another one, I think, what, yesterday? Yesterday. Yesterday, I-24 struggled. <laughs> there was some, there was a couple of tra- tractor-trailer fires. There was a tractor-trailer uh, vehicle wreck that shut down the interstate for some time. So, yeah, I-24 had a rough time yesterday. What, I guess, in, in the past investigations, what leads to a tractor-trailer truck catching on fire? A lot of times we see them, it deals with the braking system. The brakes get overheated. The load may be too heavy for the truck causing extra you know wear and tear on the braking system um, sometimes it's just the age of the truck and the, and the maintenance of course you know you can't TDOT does a, an excellent job checking the trucks from you know most of the time but every once in a while that that one truck gets through that you know nobody saw nobody checked and and it wasn't maintained properly you know obviously all fires are dangerous but is there something that makes you know those semi-truck fires more dangerous or are they less hazardous than let's say a car that catches fire um i'm gonna say not maybe not so much more dangerous is the unknown uh, of what they're carrying because uh, when you think of a common carrier you know they carry multiple things and uh, the only way we can tell what's in the trailer is first by the placard on the side and two, if we're available to get to the shipping papers to see what's actually in the tr- inside the trailer. So there's that threat of not knowing what's actually in there. Now, the diesel tanks, because, you know, the semi-trucks have two huge diesel tanks, usually on either side. Is diesel as uh, explosive as gasoline or other types of fuels? Diesel fuel is less volatile than gasoline. You know, a lot of people classify diesel fuel as a combustible liquid to where gasoline is a flammable liquid. We look at them as they're both ignitable. So, you know, we take we have to take extra care in dealing with either one. But if I have to say which one's safer of the two, diesel is safer, I'm going to say, because its flash point is a lot higher. And I guess, you know, when you respond to a truck fire, sometimes you can't get to those shipping papers in time to really know what's going to be in that, in the uh, trailer behind it. Um, So it's sometimes completely unknown, I guess. It can be. Now, if we know who the carrier is, then we can have our dispatch notify the carrier. The carrier should have, in their dispatch center, should know exactly what's in that truck as well there again that takes time to get that information back to the crews on the scene it would be a lot nicer if we had the shipping papers right there have you ever been i don't know overly surprised as to what a truck may be carrying not not knowing you know when you respond to what it is they are actually hauling sure there again i mean you know we're, we can only go on what the papers tell us sometimes 
what what's in there is not what the papers say. I, I guess even illegal activity takes place on I-24 with shipping containers and semi-trucks, just like everybody else's car. You know, some have drugs in them, some don't. So you, you just don't know. You don't know. That's, that's it. Have there been any past fires like that that you've arrived on the scene and, and you were just like, wow, I can't believe this happened in Murfreesboro? I will... Um I won't say that I can't believe it didn't happen in Murfreesboro. We're a major thoroughfare through here with I-24 and 840 now. Um, I've been surprised at what, you know, what we've seen. Uh, but to say it was an illegal, illegal activity, not necessarily. And, of course, you know, meth labs, it, it's that's another thing that you hear sometimes about in the news, not as often as you used to at all, but you still hear some stories about meth labs exploding. Some of those meth labs are... I guess considered by police portable meth labs where they're in the trunk of somebody's vehicle. Are you still having any calls on meth lab explosions? I think our numbers are down, uh, and I don't know what, when I say down, I don't know what exactly they are right now. Now, our brothers and sisters in law enforcement, I'm sure, see it a lot more than we do. Um, they see the labs when they've not exploded. We don't know about them until there's been a fire or an explosion dealing with one. But uh, they'd be better off to answer that question. I think the last one I recall hearing much about, it was on Northfield Boulevard. Now, I don't remember if it was an explosion case or if it was just a, a case where Hazmat had to come in to clear it out. Um, but that's that's the last one I really remember in Murfreesboro, and that was several years back. That was. I was actually on that one. Yes, that was that was on, off Northfield Boulevard. It was it was a, a cook shop. Okay. Inside the inside the townhouse. Um, but there's been several since then. Have there? But there's been, when I say several, uh, I don't know the exact number, but most of them have been portable. Hey, and I know the state, at one point they had a database where people could go and search and find out addresses of where meth labs were located. I don't know if they still keep that up or not. I know the uh, database is still online, but I, I don't know how often it's updated. And I'm not sure either. I, I do know back when the meth labs were very, I'm going to say popular, when they were being located a lot more, there was a certain, I want to say, aspect of it to where if it was deemed a meth lab, um, the feds stepped in, ATF, maybe FBI, things like that, and they could tag it as a hazardous material site. Now, I don't know in the past three to five years i don't know if they still do that but uh if anything's deemed as a hazardous material site it has to be cleaned up by a hazardous material team again with us this morning carl pease and shan walmack from murphy's bro fire and rescue and if you have any questions you'd like me to ask them on air feel free to text those questions to us at 615-893-1450 now, I know we did have a deadly fire that took place earlier this year. I think it was back in February, and that would have been on ISIS Court, close to World Outreach. And I, I believe you spoke a little bit about that with Bart, or somebody did a couple of weeks back. But kind of update us on that fire, because I think the cause of it has been ruled accidental. What, what happened there? Uh, well... What we had is we had a residential house uh, that was occupied by three adults. Um, the fire originated in the front bedroom on a couch. There was medical oxygen in use 
uh, in the house. And when I say in use, some large medical oxygen cylinders. Uh, of course, medical oxygen in a fire enhances the fire. So when our crews pulled up, when we first got the 911 call and pulled up on the scene, there was fire blowing out the roof of that thing. Um, so our crews didn't have a real good chance of getting that one out. Um, unfortunately, a male subject did pass in the fire, but two other individuals did exit. The, uh, the wife of the deceased exited, or got out, but with the help of, I believe, a grandson, and had to receive medical care and was actually in Vanderbilt Burn Center for a while. But now it's our understanding she's on the road to recovery, she's in a rehabilitation center, and doing well. It's got to be chaos when you arrive on the scene of some of these fires where a family member is injured or, or worse yet killed like like the case on isis court um, but it's got to be just very chaotic when fire crews first arrive i mean i can't imagine the level of emotion going on there first of all you're you're losing your house and all your belongings and second you've got a family member who's possibly trapped inside it is very chaotic and and you know you got to give credit to the men and women of our department you know they put themselves in harm's way for somebody else and and that's what they do and that's what they know they do um, but it is very chaotic you got people screaming you know of course we've got things we got to do to get ready to make entry and uh, you know we got to take care of our own people too so that's why we have what's called writ teams that, that are standing by the writ team is designed just to go after firefighters if a firefighter goes down so the firefighters are going in after the civilians the writ team standing by to go in after the firefighters if they need help um, but that does take a little bit of time to get set up, and some people don't don't understand that. I mean, and I can understand that because their loved one or their friend or somebody may be in that house. But we get to them as quick as we can. We've got some of the, in my opinion, and this is just my opinion, you know, we got some of the best firefighters in the state of Tennessee, if not the country, as well as the best EMTs and paramedics. So when when we get to that person, we're going to get them out, and we're going to render the best care we can. It seems like, at least here in Murfreesboro, the fire crews out there who are serving in Murfreesboro, they're more extensively trained on a variety of, of different backgrounds and needs compared to some other cities where fire crews simply to re respond to fires and that's it. But here in Murfreesboro, they respond to a lot more than that. Well, you know, and, and it's, not just, it's not just here in Murfreesboro. Rutherford County's got an outstanding fire department. You know, they do pretty much the same thing that we do. They train the same way. We all use the same facilities. You know, we get the same training. Um, so not just Murfreesboro in general, but as, as Rutherford County as a whole, very well-trained fire service in this area. You know, and I can't speak for other departments. You know, they may not have the funding to get to the training that they need or, or to do the specialty aspects of it. But, uh, you know, we're, we're very fortunate that we do. Uh, Shan even got to go to uh, Gatlinburg when the Gatlinburg fires happened. Uh, not the least last current one, but the, the big one, what, six, seven years ago. You know, we sent crews down there for two weeks, something like that. You know, that's, I'm, that is specialty firefighting, especially when you're going into some other jurisdiction, not knowing the terrain, not knowing the area. Looking back over your career, first of all, how long have you been, you know, part of the fire department? <laughs> too long <laughs> I'm, in, I'm in my 34th year so looking back over your career i guess towards the beginning did you ever imagine you know that crews would be responding to things like uh, drug overdoses or um just the the level of calls that murfreesboro has in general i mean did you ever 
foresee any of that happening here? I, I did not. Now, of course, you saw it on TV. You saw it in the bigger cities. And you thought, wow, you know, I bet they stay busy. And then, you know, it trickled down and it came to Murfreesboro. And, you know, and when I, I was already in the fire marshal's office when the first responder program started in Murfreesboro and the extrication programs and all that. So I wasn't on a truck when all that came about. But I do know that the last year that we ran just fire calls, we had like 2,800 calls to service. Wow. This year... I think we're in the neighborhood, or in 2021, I think we're in the neighborhood of 20 to 21,000 calls. 2,800 sounded like a lot. <laughs> that That's just a wild increase. I mean, that that's yeah. so many calls here locally. Yeah, our men and women, they, they run constantly, and, you know, they, they're busy all the time. And if they're not on a call, they're training. You know, if they're not training, they're on a call. So, you know, we ask a lot of them, but they step up and they do it. They do a great job every time. You know, going back to the drug use problem or epidemic, whatever you want to call it, that is one of those other issues that fire crews respond to. And I know Narcan is administered probably on a daily basis at this point. Um, How often are, you know, fire crews actually administering Narcan to save somebody's life today? Well, that'd be a question for Assistant Chief Wright. He's over the medical division. I don't have those numbers. Um, I'm going to go out on a limb and say daily, if not every other day, uh, but I really don't know those numbers. It's just almost uh, one of those odd states or you know, hard-to-believe things that occurs in our country every single day and in Murfreesboro of all places because it still has that small-town feel even though we're growing by leaps and bounds. It is. You know, when I started 34 years ago, Murfreesboro had... 50,000 people now to me that was a that was a large city from where I'm from um, but now we're I think in the neighborhood of what 160,000 mm-hmm. yeah so we're not small town anymore definitely not again Carl P is with us today in Shan Walmack from Murfreesboro Fire and Rescue we're going to take a short break and then we'll be right back if you have questions or if you want to say anything you can text us at 615-893-1450 Hi, this is Amanda from Animal City, inviting your family to come do business with my family. Come see us at Animal City. Here at Animal City, we carry a full line of pet products to help your pets stay healthy, happy, and well, and to make your life a little easier. And whether you are looking for a favorite toy for your new pup or to start a garden pond, come see us at Animal City, 919 Northwest Broad Street in Murfreesboro. Murfreesboro's longest-running and only family-operated pet store. Listen live to WGNS Radio on our website, Analexa, or Google devices. Search WGNS Radio for on-demand podcasts in iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. Plus, we have direct links to podcasts at WGNSRadio.com. Hey, fellas. Still need your annual health exam? I personally recommend Low T Center to get your complete health assessment, where they check all your levels. It's typically completely covered by most health insurance, and if you don't have insurance, it's less than $100 for a full lab panel and an office visit with their medical provider to give you a complete health assessment. Low T Center specializes in men's health, making it quick and easy, even verifying your insurance. Go to lowtcenter.com now to book online. Low T Center, reinventing men's health care. 
Learn to make money five ways with rental real estate. Double your money with apartments and get your map to financial freedom. And that map starts with a free workshop. Sign up now at lifestylesunlimited.com. Click on the Join Free Workshop tab and attend online or in person. That's lifestylesunlimited.com. Lifestylesunlimited.com. Again, that's lifestylesunlimited.com. Limited seating, unlimited potential. Hi, this is Tina Fox at the Rutherford Farmers Co-op. Come see us for all your spring gardening needs. We have everything you need for your garden, your lawn. We have clothing, some of the greatest gift ideas. We also have baby chicks. So please come see us for everything you need for your farm and home needs. The Co-op Farm and Home Center is located at 985 Middle Tennessee Boulevard, just off South Church. This is Tina Fox at the Rutherford Farmers Co-op. Come see us for all your spring gardening needs. The Action Line on FM 101.9 and AM 1450 Murfreesboro, FM 100.5 Smyrna, and streaming at WGNSRadio.com. Time right now, 840 from Murfreesboro Fire and Rescue. We have Shan Walmack and Carl Pease. And Carl Pease is the fire marshal. Shan, you are the assistant fire marshal for the city. Um, so what, what types of investigations would you consider quite common and routine for y'all's department? What are you seeing the most of? Well, uh, you know, if you if you look at any website or anything about related to fire, you know, what are the three leading causes of fire? The first one that comes up is unattended cooking. So we see a lot of unattended cooking fires. You know, people get comfortable in their own homes. They'll put stuff on the stove. They'll go sit and talk on the phone or watch TV. And next thing you know, the, the cooking gets away from them. And... Uh, that's, the, that's probably the biggest one. Um, you know, the other one is, is, you know, possibly smoking or candles. You know, people discarding cigarettes or, or things like that. Uh, candles, they leave them burning when they're not home. Uh, you know, in the fall, when the wind's blowing, they got the windows open, they got the candles burning. Wind blows the curtain over on the candle. Next thing you know, we got a fire. People leaving stuff unattended, I, I mean, that has got to be one of the biggest problems because things like candles, it is easy to forget and just walk sure. out of your house and, and not even think about it. And then the whole cooking thing. I, I mean, I think all of us have had at least one or two stories where either us or kids have left something in the oven, totally forgot about it, walked away, and next thing you know, it's smoking. Yep, and it happens every day. So, And then the importance of that smoke alarm the smoke detector i mean that literally saves lives you've seen it and you've also seen the bad side of it absolutely smoke detect smoke detectors save lives uh we've seen it just recently um even in the isis court that's what woke the grandson up is the sound of the smoke alarms um we've seen it on the other side too where you know people haven't gotten out of their home due to the lack of smoke alarms so we do uh, participating in in the uh, Tennessee the alarm program and with you know having that fire alarm is it a good idea to have maybe a you know you see those roll out ladders where you can roll them down from a second window if your bedroom's upstairs and have you seen that actually save lives before too locally I personally have never seen that um, that doesn't mean that they don't work we I have seen some homes that do have those 
um, we actually we are in the city schools and the second graders we teach a STEAM program and we get asked that question a lot by kids and um, I would say probably 20% of those kids when I ask about those ladders they have those so I think that's that's a great asset one thing you need to keep in mind on those ladders too those are they are chain ladders it's not Mm -hmm. like climbing a regular sturdy ladder so if if you have children if you have people that want those ladders practice on them because they're not as easy to climb as a regular ladder i'm sure yeah that it'd be a little rough especially if it's smacked up against your brick i mean that would be there's no place to put your foot if it's right against it takes practice so that that would be a something fun to do i guess for a family to learn on yeah <laughs> but again here in murphy's bro fire numbers seem to be down and with that being said uh what about backyard fires because this is a time of year where i know a lot of people are cooking out they're having campfires they're roasting marshmallows maybe in a fire pit they made themselves in the backyard um is that legal do you have to have a permit for that or are there certain times of year where even that's not allowed we do have a burn permit uh, policy in the city. Now, if it's a recreational fire, as long as the recreational fire is in a commercial grade pit or container, uh, I like to use example like a, a chimney, something like that, something that's commercially sold, you don't have to have a permit to do that. However, if you're gonna do an open burn on the ground or in a pit that you've built, yes you do have to have a permit or you do have to call us and let us at least see what you what you've created um, there are some guidelines as far as where they can be as far as an open fire pit it's got to be at least 25 to 50 feet away from any structure you know we want you to have some type of extinguishing agent present you know whether it be a you know hose pipe a fire extinguisher bulldozer you know whatever you've got um, and we want it to be attended at all times at all times and i guess you know that whole 25 feet away from any structure that's almost tough to do these days because houses (laughs) are being built so close together it is it is very tough Uh, now the other permits that we have is is based on like a commercial build if they're building a house as long as they're burning natural wood um, then they don't have to have a permit now when i say natural wood some people think plywood is the natural wood it's not plywood has glue in it so if it's like a two before two by eight whatever if they're trying to get rid of scraps that's fine but you know we, we also wanted to keep in mind that the neighbors too you know we're trying to we want everybody to be a good neighbor you wouldn't want to sit out on your back porch and, and watch a fire burn across or next door to you or have to smell it all night so you know we we tried to tell our contractors you know be good neighbors you know and if, if it's a nuisance call us you know we'll come out we'll put it out as Murphy's Bro continues to grow and more houses, apartments, and townhomes are being built, do you foresee the requirement of a fire sprinkler system being part of codes for future houses? It's currently there. It's currently in the code. Um, the state of Tennessee uh, chose to pull that section out of the code for residential homes. Um, now, a city can still require it but they have to go to different measures to require they have to go to either doing a local ordinance or they have to have a special meeting a special called meeting has to be advertised and it's got to be a two-thirds majority vote but uh, it is in the code currently okay so it's in the code but houses are not necessarily being built with the fire sprinkler systems or they should be 
built? They don't have to be right now, Okay. the way the, the legislator adopted the code. Uh, we would recommend it, um, but, um, you know, it's not required. And, you know, we're not saying homes are not safe without sprinklers. I mean, you know, most of the time what causes the fire inside is what we, as a homeowner, bring into it. Um, now, I'm not going to say there's not any fires in any new homes that are not caused by the home. There, there, there are. But, you know, sprinklers are there. Sprinkler is another tool that, uh, you know, if I, and I'm not, I'm not a home builder at all. <laughs> I can't even build a doghouse. <laughs> but, you know, if I was a home builder, I would, I would use that as my marketing. You know, I'm, I'm putting sprinklers in to promote fire safety, you know, and say, hey, you know, my home's fully sprinkled. You know, I'm, and having a fully sprinkler home, that's like putting a firefighter in every room of your house, just waiting to have a fire. Is it a big undertaking as far as expense, or is it somewhat affordable? Well, it's it's. I'm going to say it's affordable. Um, you know, if you're building a house from the ground up, and these are numbers I've been told. I've no, I've not priced it myself, but I've been told these numbers. It costs about a dollar to a dollar twenty a square foot to add sprinklers. Um, of course, you know, but you got to understand, you know, the home builders that's adding another contractor to their list. More, probably more wait time to get the house done because it's going to extend it out a little bit longer, you know. But it's not that expensive. Now, commercial ventures where they're building an apartment complex for you know, I don't know, a hundred residents or two hundred units or three hundred units, are they required to put in a sprinkler system on those new builds? Yes, they are. Anything that falls under the the um, commercial code. If somebody lives above you or below you in new construction, it has to be sprinkled. And with the sprinkler system being installed, I mean, I'm sure you've seen and read reports of how they, you know, reduce the chances of the fire spreading, but how greatly do they actually work? Because I'm sure you've seen videos and read lots about them. Oh, we've seen videos. We've seen it firsthand. Sprinkler systems work. They save lives. You know, we always like to say, Smoke detectors are early detection of fire. Sprinklers are early suppression of fires. Now, a sprinkler system is designed to contain a fire till the fire department arrives. But 99% of the time, I would say, they put them out. So that, that's a big difference. I mean, that's pretty positive for sure. Yeah, and I'm not going to, to my knowledge, and this is just to Carl's knowledge, I've never heard of a fire fatality in a sprinkle building that was working properly. Now, some of the older complexes, they, you know, may not have a sprinkler system. That's true. They weren't required to outfit them and, you know, retrofit these sprinkler systems in. No, they're not required to retrofit now if they have a, a, a devastating loss. Like we've got some apartment complexes in, in Merceboro that are not sprinkled. Um, we had one not too long ago, the, the building actually burnt the roof off. They had to tear the building completely down. So when they built it back, they had to sprinkle it. So now in that complex, one building sprinkled and the rest of them are not. But it's because that building had to be rebuilt. Now, are there any current arson investigations that are in the city of Murfreesboro that are, you know, still being investigated? Any open type cases? We never close an investigation. If we've got an arson and we know it's an arson, it, we don't close it. Um, now, it, it may go into a cold case. You know, uh, we've got one we're currently working. We've got great video. I mean, we've got video of, of the person starting the fire. But 
we just can't identify exactly who it is. Now, we've got our ideas, but you can't make an arrest on just your ideas. You've got to have hard facts, and we don't have that factual information yet, so that case is still open. Hey, I mean, it's, I assume, just like a regular police investigation, right? It is. It is. It's a, just like a regular police investigation, and we work with the men and women of Merceboro Police. We work great together. Outstanding bunch. Again, I'll put them up against anybody in the state, if not the country, uh, as far as what they do. And they help us tremendously. So whenever an investigation is underway, are you communicating with detectives? Because are there usually other charges that may be pending or maybe the suspect's already been arrested for something else, but somehow it ties into your case? Yes, we we communicate with them, you know, during the investigation. You know, I, don't, I won't say on a daily basis, but, uh, you know, when, when we get information that might, you know, help us, we want them to know about it. Sometimes we get information that they're looking at this same person in another case. Uh, so we pass on that information to them, and we share information very well. We got a text that's asking about carbon monoxide poisoning, asking if it is a big deal with people camping out throughout the summer and the use of camp stoves. So carbon monoxide poisoning, uh, how big of an issue is that, and, and what are some of the common scenarios you see that are dangerous? A lot of times we see or hear of carbon monoxide poisoning or carbon monoxide levels getting higher. Not so much, I'm going to say, with a camping stove, more with the use of like a generator. Um, you know, of course, in the summer months, we have a lot of storms. People, you know, power goes down. Uh, people have backup generators. Um, you've got to keep those in, in a well-ventilated spot. Okay. Some people put them in the house. We'd rather them be outside the house if they're going to be running. Um, you know, and, and a lot of the homes today, you know, they're, that are being built, there's natural gas or propane gas being used. Keep in mind, carbon monoxide is a byproduct of combustion. So uh, my house is all electric. I don't have a threat of carbon monoxide because everything I have is run off electricity. Now, if you bring in an outside source like a generator, a kerosene heater in the winter, you know, now you're introducing the possibility of carbon monoxide. And, and for people who have RVs, pull-behind campers with a generator, I mean, the factory installation of however the factory installed that generator, it should be, I'm guessing, sufficient uh, to not cause the buildup of carbon monoxide poisoning. Uh, but have you seen some cases where that wasn't the case and wherever the factory installed it, it has caused a, a buildup of carbon monoxide? I haven't seen that um especially from the factory because the factory they've got they've got guidelines they've got to go by they're inspected you know they're they're scrutinized by other inspectors in that field where i have seen stuff is where we as the owner have altered it or or modified it um, you know anytime you modify anything from the factory you know especially on a new vehicle if you modify something on a new vehicle you pretty much you know ruin your warranty yeah um same way with an RV. If you modify something or change something, um, you could be in jeopardy of, of having problems like that. So going back to the issue of residential fires, um, I mean, it sounds like a lot of common sense. If that's used, then you're going to be better off, you know, in making sure you put out the candles, making sure you're watching the stove if you're cooking something. I mean, a lot of it does boil down to common sense practices. 
It does. Uh, you know, and, but here's the thing. You know, we all get comfortable in our own homes. You know, um, uh, if you, I'm the fire marshal here in Murfreesboro, you come into my house, you can probably walk in the door and point out three or four things that, you know, you're the fire marshal. You should know better than to use that or do that or do this or, you know, look. I've got behind my entertainment center, I've got, you know, a surge protector. You know, do I have too many things plugged into it? Possibly so, you know, but we get comfortable in our own homes and we think it's not going to happen to me. And, uh, and I hope it never does, but eventually it's going to catch up with us for everybody. So in residential fires are, you know, I'm sure in some cases it's because of wiring that causes whatever the fire is, but is wiring that big of an issue or is it typically old wiring from an older home? Well, you know... I've always said electricity gets a bad rap in a lot of in a lot of fires because sometimes you know I've I've seen people say well if you don't know what caused it blame it on electricity and that's that's a bad rap for electrical for the electrical wiring now does the older wiring compare to the newer wiring well of course not you know technology has changed uh, in all aspects of, of home building um, you know we've got a great video that we show to any group that we can show it to it's called modern versus legacy and that's modern furniture compared to legacy furniture like our grandma and grandpa used to have. The modern furniture burns faster. You know, um, at one time we could say, hey, you know, if you had a fire in your home, you had between, what, 12 to 14 minutes to get out. Now you've got between two to four minutes to get out. That's a huge difference. A huge difference. It's, and it's not because it's, it's not that they're building stuff not as safe. It's just different materials and some materials burn faster than others. And I guess on the electrical side of things, you have a breaker for the purpose of, well, if that positive wire is grounded out, it's not gonna catch fire. Instead, the breaker's gonna go out and no power going to it. That's right, that's right. Now, you throw lightning in there and that changes the whole ball game. You know, because I've seen, I've seen lightning do things that I never imagined it could do. It could run right by a breaker and not even trip the breaker or trip the breaker and still energize the line, you know, so. And we've got some pretty extensive lightning in Murfreesboro. It seems more so than some of, like in, in downtown Nashville, you, you don't hear about or see pictures of, you know, lightning-related storms like I've seen in Murfreesboro over the recent years. Yeah, and that I can't explain. <laughs> it, it, it's weird, though, because, I mean, you do the lightning that I've seen here, it, it just, it's so strong so powerful it's so loud the thunder that comes with it compared to some of the other storms in other areas yeah, it can be so anyway close it out this morning with carl pease and shan walmack from murphy's bro fire and rescue if anybody listening would like to have a, a free smoke detector smoke alarm you know at their house if they're unable to install it what do they need to do they can call our administration 615 615- Eight nine three fourteen twenty two, or they can actually go on the city's website under the fire department's page and there is a uh, form that they can fill out um, and it just emails that right to us and we will contact them and this is all an ongoing program that you foresee lasting sticking around for years to come i hope yes sir absolutely and it's great especially for the elderly who can't get out and about and who may not have a smoke detector in an older home or maybe it just quit working uh, but i'm sure you've seen the case of where it's been installed in an elderly person's home, and they were very appreciative of it for sure. And this program, it, it started several years ago. My, 
my boss at the time, uh, Ken Honeycutt, started the, the program called SAFE, Smoke Alarms for Everyone. And that program grew and grew and grew. Then the state started a program called Get Alarmed. So we kind of joined our SAFE program with the Get Alarmed program. So now we, we're tied to the state as far as, you know, they provide us the smoke detectors. You can go on the state's website and request a smoke detector anywhere in the state and they'll contact that local fire department to, to come do that. Or you can just contact, like Shan said, contact us directly. Sounds good. Again, with us this morning, Carl Pease and Shan Walmack from Murphy's Bro Fire and Rescue. And that is going to do it for this morning. We appreciate you tuning in. Stay with us. More news, including local news, comes your way next. <laughs> 